following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So, what does it mean to love God with all of your mind? A few years back, there was a guy named Dr. Gary Chapman, and he wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. Anybody heard that, read that, know about that? I didn't hear about that till I was 25 years into marriage. His premise is this, is that all of us have one or a couple of major love languages, which is the way we express love to others or receive love to others the best. And Don and I didn't know these things, and so I couldn't for the life of me figure out why a back rub or a grab of the hand or a little kiss just didn't quite do it for her like it did for me. In the same way, when she gave me gifts or words of affirmation, she couldn't figure out, while I was smart enough to realize, yes, she is loving me, it didn't just quite hit the sweet spot of me feeling loved. And so um, that's kind of the way we went on for a long time until we read this book and got you know, tuned into this. So we didn't love each other the way they needed to be loved, the way they best felt to be loved. And, you know, it makes it a sacrifice for me to know that gifts are her love language and to be able to sacrifice that because it doesn't come natural to me. To me, it's a hug or a hand squeeze or a back rub or whatever. Um, she likes gifts. She loves colors. She loves flowers. That doesn't come natural to me. I mean, flowers to me used to mean you take a $20 bill, light it on fire, and two weeks later, it's done. It's about as much sense as it made. It doesn't make much more sense to me now, but she loves it. But the flowers cost $40 now. But anyway, more of a sacrifice, right? So God hasn't left us hanging as to how he wants us to love him. He's very explicit in his word how, what his love languages are, if you will. It says in Mark, it says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and all of your strength. All, the Greek word there is holist. It means holistically, all together, integrated, or in an interconnected way. So to love God with all means to love him completely and totally with every dimension at work. Yes, that means soulish, emotional worship and reasoning and logic of the mind. The soulish, emotional, exuberant worship and raising of hands don't come natural to me. It does to Donna, but not to me. But I do it because that's the way God loves it. I do it. We do kids camps a lot. And I do it a lot there. And I jump around in the back. I'm much more reserved and dignified than that. But I do it, A, because that's God's love language. And B, <clears throat> because I'm setting example to these kids. Nobody's too dignified to love God. You know, David, he stripped down to his linen ephod and danced in the streets. And he was the king, for goodness sake. He was loving God holistically there. So, today I want to focus on one of the aspects, and that's loving God with our minds. And I'm going to do three things. I'm going to talk about what it means to do so, how we do so, and why we do so. So, three things, and we're done. Not that we're almost done. When I say in closing, 20 more minutes at least. <laughs> and to me, loving God with your mind kind of makes the most sense, because to totally love something or someone or something, you've got to know about it, right? You've got to first know about that thing. Many Christians, many believers try and base their, their love and even their understanding of God on their feelings instead of their knowledge. When back, back when we were in America, there was a, a Gallup poll. A guy named George Gallup does lots of polls. And he concluded at the end of the poll, he said this. He says, the church, the church is in America, is having a revival 
of feelings, but not of the knowledge of God. The church was more guided by feelings than by convictions, and it valued enthusiasm more than informed decisions. In short, it was not loving God holistically with their whole mind. We sometimes project our love language on God, our desired way of loving Him onto Him. It's like me forcing a big old kiss on Donna. It makes me feel good. I liked it, but that wasn't her preferred love. If I really wanted to show sacrificial love and devoted love, I would give her a gift. I would, you know, give her words of affirmation, something like something that speaks her love language. So what does it mean to love God with all of our minds? Two basic aspects. In a nutshell, it's taking the time to get to know him better. The heart can't truly love what the mind doesn't first know, right? You can't love him with all your heart until your mind first loves him. For example, a few years back, those of you that has kid, have kids might have seen a movie put out by Disney called Madagascar. Anybody see that movie? In it, there were two hippos. I think they were hippos. One was named Motomoto and another named Gloria. Well, I promise the answer will... Let me go back and I'll start it again. There we go. I don't know. I have so many questions. Well, I promise the answer will always be yes, unless... No is required. Okay, so what is it about me that you find so interesting? Well, you are the most plumpinest girl I've ever met. Okay. Plumpinest. Other than that. Let's see. Yeah, well, you know, you, you junk yeah. Right. Uh, my gosh, girl, you huge. You said that. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, we don't have to talk no more. Gloria! Gloria. Melman. Oh, that's it then. You're good. We kind of busy here, man. No. No, that, that's not it. Huh? Listen, Mototo, you better treat this lady Mototo. like a queen. Because you, my friend, you found yourself the perfect woman. If I was ever so lucky to find the perfect woman, I would give her flowers every day. And not just any flowers, okay? Her favorites are orchids, white, and breakfast in bed. Six loaves of wheat toast with butter on both sides, no crust, the way she likes it. I'd be her shoulder to cry on and her best friend. And I'd spend every day trying to think of how to make her laugh. She has the most, most amazing laugh. That, I mean, that's, that's what I would do if I were you. But I'm not. So you do it. There we go. So, Mototo loved Gloria only kind of in a, in a selfish what made him feel good. What tantalized his eyes, right? Girl, you is huge. You is large, right? Just one dimensional aspect that he was in love with, he thought. Whereas Melman had actually taken the time to, to, to learn her, to study her, to find out all of the attributes that were, was lovable. Girls, how many would like uh, the Melman type of love, right? That would, or your husband or whoever can write you a letter or express exactly what it is about you that they, they love. And in the same way, some can make the same error of, of loving God with only an emotional or soulish, selfish type of what's in it for me. The love language. I, I like to go to church to worship God. I like to sing. I like to have that tingly feeling or whatever. I like the miracles or, or whatever. That's fine and great. Those are some aspects of loving God. But we want to love him holistically with all, right? Totally. And that means our mind is intellect as well. So, that's the what. 
What does it mean to, to love God with your mind? Just that, engaging in your intellect, getting that part of, of your being involved in worship. And what about the how? Well, how do we love God with the mind? Well, the first one should be pretty obvious. It's, it's just getting into his Bible, the word. This is not my frilly little girly Bible. I had to borrow it from the back. I've got Bibles on my phone. But getting into the word of God. How else would you get to know him better than getting into the word of God, right? It shows the true nature of God and the character of Jesus in the cross, etc. But it also means because some people, they open up the book of Numbers and I can't get anything out of this. Yeah, it's no wonder, right? We sometimes need help. We not sometimes need, need other books. And so... Some of the books we can dig into, this is, my wife says, I'm just such a nerd because when I wake up in the morning, sometimes I'll crack this open. It's a systematic theology book. I love the fact that I've done this message two or three times, and every time somebody, usually a young person, will say, I, I got that book. I got that systematic theology. Fantastic. Some of you are like, man, that's bigger than my Bible. I'm scared of that. Get thee behind me. That is a big systematic theology. Systematic just means, well, just that. It's, it's careful. It's organized. It's a study topic by topic. And theology is the study of God. So it's a topic, topic by topic study of God. Things like Christology, the study of Christ and his nature. The study of harmatology, that's the study of sin, how we got that way. Soteriology, the study of salvation. Pneumatology, the study of the spirits moving and uh, others. Ecclesiology, the church. And eschatology, what's happening in the end time. All those ologies are just a study of God. And it's bigger than the Bible because obviously some of those topics overlap. And they'll list the same scripture four, five, six times. Systematic theologies. Angels, demons, heaven, hell, end times. Everybody has an idea about each of the topics I just listed. Everyone does. But a lot of people are not accurate at all. They're not accurate at all, right? The big question is, is yours accurate? Some people have made God into their own image and likeness. That's idolatry, right? It's idolatry. Yes, he's a God of love and a God of mercy, but he's also a God of justice and judgment and even wrath. He calls himself that. He is the, li the, the lamb, yes, slaying for us, but he's also the lion. And so there are... Different aspects of his nature that we need to dig into and find out what is the totality. Not just the one verse we like, but what does the, the, the totality of scripture say about that. Equally erroneous is, is not developing a God after your own image and likeness of what you think God should be. But what Hollywood says he is. You know, is God like Morgan Freeman in Oh God? Is he a, a nice old black man? Or is he like uh, Octavia Spencer in The Shack? Somehow Hollywood thinks that God is black. Maybe my wife is God. I don't know. I should start teaching, uh, treating her a little bit better. I don't know. But they're getting an image. They're giving you, projecting an image of God. And if you're not digging in the word of God to love him with your mind, you might fall for that and get an unbalanced or wrong representation of him. A guy named A.W. Tozer once said, what comes to your mind when you think about God, that's the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God. So loving God with your mind is to devote your intellect to him. Read books. Read hard books. Read big books. We're instructed in 2 Peter 3.18. It says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. It glorifies him when we do that. Jesus the Bible says grew in stature. In wisdom and in stature. If the son of God can grow in wisdom. Where does, what excuse do we have? 
right? Somehow he grew in wisdom. We need to. In the bodily realm, you probably wondered, my wife even wondered, what do you got under this blanket? Maybe you couldn't see this blanket. I've got a kettlebell. Oh, anybody do kettlebells or weights? Nobody's brave enough to raise their hand, huh? Because I'll call you up. I guess you swing these things around, you know, through the legs. I'll put up my back and won't be able to preach anymore, so I'll just, just kind of play with it a bit. But it's heavy. There was another one in my garage. These aren't even mine. Bigger than this. I can't even lift it. How would somebody lift it? Ah. But that's, that's the way you build your body is a little bit of resistance, a little bit of difficulty, a little bit of difficulty each day, and you build those muscles, and you build your endurance, and you can grow in that way, but you need it. At the intellectual level, it's the same thing. It means you got to do the heavy lifting scripturally. Oh, I'm a student. I study. I don't remember how to study. Don't be lazy. God doesn't want excuses, right? He doesn't want excuses like that. So you think, Todd, I should read that book? If you can lift it, lift it. If you can read it, read it. If you're, if you're inclined that way, then try and push yourself that way. Read things that are challenging to you. Even if you are academically inclined and, and, and you're like that, still push yourself to grow. Read things that are challenging. Read, listen to, to podcasts that challenge your thinking, even oppose your thinking to at least understand where do they get to. They call themselves a scripture. They say they're using the same Bible. Where do they get to? That causes us to grow in that. So you might be thinking, well, I'm just not academic. I don't read very well. Well, I'll, I'll encourage you in two ways. The first one is, God holds us accountable for what we have, not what we don't have. Think of the parable of the talents, right? The one guy had one talent. I'll just go and bury it in the field. While the other two gained interest on it. And Jesus came back and said, no, you should have tried to gain more talents by that. Not just bury it in the field. So you, you can't read very well or whatever. Uh, you know what? Start where you are. Start light. I can't lift very much. Well, then start with a little weight. This is my actual weight right here. <laughs> start small. Work your way up. Right? And if this is all you can ever lift, God is not going to shame you. God's going to applaud you. God's going to say, well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the little weight. Right? I'll make you ruler over much, so to speak. I'm not naturally academically inclined. It's true. I mean, I, I repeated the second grade kindergarten. I repeated kindergarten twice. I didn't get it the first time. I used to stare out at the clouds. I really did. And still by second grade, I was in the smallest, the, you know, the, how they group out. Maybe when you were young, they grouped the reading groups. We have the giraffes here and the rabbits here. And the giraffes all knew they were the dummies. I was the giraffe or whatever it was. The, this group, that was me. I couldn't read very well. So they kept me in the second grade again. They were going to keep me in the sixth grade again. But they thought, we don't want a 26-year-old graduating from high school. So let's just pass them along. But by God's grace, I, I got through. But everything I did academically, I got a degree at UC Irvine. I, man, I just had to push and push and push and study really, really hard. So I know what it is. I'm speaking from experience when I say dig in and keep pushing and don't give up. But, you know, it'd be really, really nice if, if God would allow us to be like Neo in the Matrix and just get a download. Give me another unit of harmatology. Give me soteriology. Give me ecclesiology. Okay, I'm ready now. Wouldn't that be nice? But no, God says we've got to study to show ourselves approved with that. Second Timothy says that. So the first thing is God won't judge us or hold us accountable for what we don't have, but what we do. Start there. And secondly, secondly, we can start small. Yes, just like with the weights, you open up to the book of Numbers and you're lost. Well, Pastor Reuben held up some books. I've got the same one, you know, um, Paul Little. 
Know why you believe. Paul Little, know what you believe. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. I'll leave these up here. They're not free gifts. They're just, you can come and take a picture if you want. But you can start small. And I'll take the kettlebell too. I'm left with nothing. Start small. Start small. Work your way up. You can do that. You can do that. Also, thank God we live in this generation. We've got the Bible on podcast. We've got the Bible online. Audio Bible. I, I come into the room and Donna's got the audio Bible on before she gets up almost every day. I listen to a lot of podcasts because I'm doing driving and different that and that. And, and that's another way to really get the word of God into you. Also, I'm part of an organization called Thinking Matters. Anybody heard of it? It's just that because thinking should matter to Christians. And we have conferences and there's one coming up. I'll let you know a little bit more about that a little bit later in the talk. So, I love that even though I'm almost 60, I'm getting there, uh, that, that I'm still enlivened by Scripture. I'm still challenged by Scripture. My theology is still being challenged by Scripture. I love what Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Pe Preachers, said. He said, nobody ever outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. That should be true for us. It should widen, it should deepen, it should... Bring awe and inspiration. Find out what the Bible really says and apply it. Read things that are tough and challenging. So that's the how. The what, loving God with your mind, is just that, getting into it. The how, I, I've showed you. Scriptures, systematic theology, books that help you, challenging Bible studies and whatnot. What about the why? Let me sell you on the why. I'll give you several. Why should we do it? You see, if I speak Donna's love language, it benefits her. Right? If I give her gifts, flowers, whatnot, little letters or whatnot, it, it benefits her. But if we love God with our, our whole mind, it benefits us. It benefits the body of Christ. It benefits the world around us. You might say, well, how is that? Allow me to say. First benefit of loving God with the mind is this. It ensures that we're trusting in a correct Savior. Some people have strayed so far from what they call orthodox faith, what the Bible spells out. They've strayed so far from that that they're actually worshiping and putting their trust in a false God. They trust in a contorted, distorted, man-made view of who God is. This is what happened. Two of the, the world's major cults started in the United States in what Charles Finney called the burned-over district in western New York, in central New York. Back in the 1800s, Charles Finney, the, the first great awakening, revival was spreading throughout the, the northern states. Everybody was getting saved. Everybody was going to the emotional meetings. Lots of evangelism. So much so that Finney said, there's no more dry wood to burn. Everybody's saved. That's a good thing. But the bad thing was, the evangelists and revivalists weren't good teachers. Weren't good Bible expositories. We should thank the Lord for Pastor Reuben. I love the way he goes book by book, scripture by scripture. Didn't have that back, back then. So out of that, in 1830, I want to get the dates right. In the 1830s, the Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church was founded. 1870, Charles Taze Russell's, the uh, Jehovah Witnesses were formed. Strange belief that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers and that we can all become gods and God was once a man and that, that you know, Jesus didn't bodily resurrect from the dead and 
Jesus was a created being like you and I. Just crazy beliefs in both of them that, that you can get saved through your good works and deeds. Whereas we hold clearly in scripture that you're saved by what Jesus did. So nature hates a vacuum. When there's a vacuum of good teaching, error sweeps in. So we can make sure we and those around us are trusting in a right savior and a right doctrine. Not a wrong savior. And don't think we're immune from it. We've, there's lots of studies done that show Christians in church every Sunday can sometimes believe very strange things. 30% in a Barner research thought that salvation was a work. That we worked good to earn our way to heaven. Another 30% believe that, that Jesus committed sins while he was on earth. 15 believe that Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead bodily. These, these are not just your average just American. These are church-going Christians in America that believe th these things. So it's not enough just to be sincere. I just love God with all my heart. That's great. I could be sincere in going to the medicine cabinet and reaching for an aspirin. But if I grab arsenic instead, they both start with an A, and I'm really sincere. I really want this headache to go away. Oh, your headache will go away, all right. <laughs> You'll be dead. So sincerity is not enough. My wife has at times reached into my grandmother's medicine cabinet. She had cancer for goodness sake and she put a morphine patch on her back and ended up in the hospital. She sincerely wanted her back pain to stop, but it was the wrong medication. She didn't need that. Another benefit of loving God with your mind is it actually deepens and enhances your worship. I already talked about this, but without a full knowledge of God, we can't fully worship God. We can't love and worship what we don't know. If to know him is to love him, then to not fully know him is to not fully be able to love him, right? How could Moto Moto fully love Gloria? Whereas Melman, Melman could go on and on and on and on. Why he had taken the time to learn. So loving God with our mind, it actually deepens and enhances. It turbo boosts. If you're an emotional, passionate worshiper, this will turbo boost that. It'll give you more to love about him. Another benefit, it allows us to enjoy him more fully. According to the Westminster Confession, a bunch of theologians got together and hashed out about the Bible and stuff. And they, the first one, what is the chief end of man? Why did God make man? Two things, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We're supposed to enjoy him both now and forever. Part of enjoying him then is fully understanding him. You can't fully enjoy your automobile until you read the owner's manual, right? I mean, yeah, you got to know. Hey, those, I got electric defoggers on the mirrors. My wife got a new, not a new, but a Japanese import, 2014. And we were driving down the road, and on the rear view mirror, we all of a sudden saw a little video of what was happening on the side view mirror. Anybody have that on their car? You can, that's how you can see how close you are to the curb or whatever. That's cool. How does it happen? I don't know. We're pushing all the buttons. Good thing I didn't hit the ejector seat button, but we're just pushing buttons to try and get it. We had to go to the dealer and say, hey, this happened when we were on a road trip. What was that? You see, we could fully, more fully enjoy that car if we knew about that car, Google that car, looked at that car. And the same with God. We can enjoy him more fully when we know more about him. It also helps us fulfill the great commission to bring the gospel to the lost. The degree that we love God with our minds will correspond to the amount of confidence that we have in engaging in deep spiritual conversations above our testimonies. Our testimonies are great and powerful. 
But sometimes we've got to go above our testimonies when some people begin to ask questions about God, about Jesus, about the Bible. We've got to have ready answers for that. The Bible exhorts us to always be prepared to give an answer to anyone that asks you for the hope, the reason for the hope that's within us. Do it with gentleness and respect. The conference is partially about that, helping give answers to a culture that wants them, doing it with gentleness and respect. We're sometimes afraid to share our faith because we don't know enough about our faith. The grounding of our faith, the object of our faith, the surety of our faith. And guess what? If we fail to intellectually engage with non-believers, then we will have rightly earned the title of just being, you know, weak-minded or superstitious or just... Um, just believing in fairy tales or just all about emotion. And that's what the world sometimes thinks of us. That they're just a bunch of emotional people that go and get an emotional feeling on Sunday morning. It's just subjective. Some people do yoga or rock climbing. Some people go to church. That's the balance for them. Rather than saying, hey, you know, there are subjective, excuse me, some objective historically verifiable reasons why I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. There are fantastic reasons why I can believe the New Testament is true, accurate, reliable, trustworthy. There are good reasons to believe there is a God rather than not a God. But again, you got to love God with your mind to get people to that. So, my question, can you do a better job of defending your faith or explaining why you love God than Moto Moto did of saying why he love Gloria. Oh, Jesus is so cool. Jesus is so awesome. Uh, The pastor's wife is so wonderful on the worship. All those are true. But can you get past that? Oh, Jesus just gives me such goosebumps. I just love the feeling of peace. True, 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 and wonderful. And part of your Christian testimony. But can you get a little bit beyond that, like Melman could in describing Gloria? We need passion. We need emotion. But we need the facts as well. Do a word search and see how many times the Apostle Paul reasoned with the Greeks. Reasoned with people that he was talking to there. If you love God enough to be convinced of the truthfulness of his word, you should have no fear in discussing that with others. Another benefit, the fifth one, and we are getting to the end. It facilitates our growth as Christians. If part of our the reason men, men exist are to honor God and to glorify God. Then it glorifies God when people around us can see our progressive holiness. Paul, the pastor Reuben talked a few weeks ago, the scripture where, where Paul says, um, don't be conformed to the world. Don't do things and don't think the way the world thinks, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means getting into the word of God, renewing it to him. He didn't, see be, he didn't say to be transformed by getting a, another dose of the Holy Spirit or get a, another wave of God's presence or a great worship set. He said be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means getting into his word, right? Jesus promised that he was going to have a glorious church, a church without spot, a church without wrinkle, a church without blemish. How did he do that? Well, he said he was going to do it by the washing, washing us by the water of his word. That's how he cleanses us. Not by, oh, thank you, Jesus, and getting slain in the Spirit, as nice as that could be. Really good. But that doesn't change and transform lives. The Word of God does. Jesus prayed over his disciples. He said, he said sanctify them by thy truth, O Lord. Your Word is truth. Six, it allows us to defend his honor. Now, how can I claim that I love my wife 
If I ran into somebody and said, your wife is just a no good such and such and so and so and X, Y, Z. And I'm like, oh, Jesus loves you. Have a nice day. I would have a little more, a better reaction than that. I'd want to defend her honor. I'd want to lay hands on him suddenly, maybe. Right? I'd want to defend that honor and say, no, you're not talking about my wife. You're talking about somebody else's wife. She's not this or that. She could be perceived as this or that. But no, that, I would try to defend her honor by saying that. And yet, it happens all the time that, that, that you know, Jesus is mocked. Christianity is shamed and it's scorned and it's ridiculed in this culture. Is it not? You turn on Netflix. You go on any, you know, social media and there it is. The atheists, the humanists, they become increasingly brazen increasingly vocal and determined in tearing down and discrediting the God we love, the Savior we love, the religion we hold to. God is just an illusion. God is a superstition, they write. Marx wrote that Christianity, that religions are just the opiate, the drug of the masses. There's absolutely no evidence for God, they will spout out. Belief in God is like belief in the tooth fairy. Religion is the source of all conflict in the world, they wrongly say. Books have been written. Dawkins wrote The God Delusion. Christopher Hitchens, The Late. God is not great. How religion poisons everything. Richard Dawkins says this. He said, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, Genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, precocious, malevolent bully. Wow. You said that about my wife, I'd have a few things to say. But these are what some of the atheists. You know, he says that when you meet Christian people, you should mock them openly. You should shame them publicly. And unfortunately, the church, instead of matching and rising to the occasion in gentleness and respect... We've shrunk back to just our personal testimonies, our holy little huddles. Sometimes our, 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 our children, we, we, we shield and shroud them and protect them from the big bad world, which is good, but without inoculating them against the errors they're going to come against. You won't be able to shield them forever. They're going to leave your home to go to university or to get a job or whatever. So you might as well, you parents, begin to inoculate them. That's what the COVID vaccine was for. I'm not pro. I'm not a con. I'm just saying that it is. We'll give you this inoculation. So if you go meet the big bad COVID, you'll be ready for it. Your immune systems, your defense will be ready for it. And that's what we do when we bring to bear what our children are going to expect. Whether you homeschool or public school, it's up to us as parents. It's up to us as a church to inoculate them against errors and the worldviews that are going there. Because if we only concentrate our efforts on our personal holiness, on the born-again experience, ah, uh, let the atheists, let the humanists have the media outlets. Let them have the arts and the entertainment industries. Let them have the political arenas. Let them have the educational institutions. Let them brainwash our children. I say no. You wonder what I do day in, day out? On weekdays, I go do Bible in schools. We call it launch pad now. I do six or seven of these every week because I want to bring the word of God. I want to show them that there is an omnipotent, all-powerful, all-loving God that loves you. Give them a biblical worldview. They need it. That's what loving God with your mind is. It's, it's being able to share that and give answers to the world around you that are wanting those answers. Because if we withdraw, we become saltless. 
Something I say is the degree of our silence will be directly proportional to the degree of our irrelevance in society. Our marginalization, our humiliation. J.P. Moreland, he says, if you can control a person's ideas, you can control the person. And the battle for this generation is a battle of ideas. It's a battle of worldviews. The Bible has plenty to say, but we need to get in it. And we need to know it. And we need to be confident enough to be able to say that, right? Feel comfortable in the world of ideas. Otherwise, we'll have earned the reputation. We're just subjective, bunch of ideas and superstitions and feel good, blind, unreasonable faith. Jude, in the book of Jude in the Bible, he says to contend, contend for the faith. First Peter says, be able to give a defense, a reason for the hope that's within you. That's the Greek word apologia. And that's where we get the word apologetics from. It's not that we're apologizing. It's being able to defend the truth that comes out of the Bible. Helping gen people genuinely overcome the obstacles to faith. Giving reasons why we believe in Christ in the Bible. Paul said we need to wage war. Jesus said to be wise as serpents but harmless as doves. Sometimes we get it flip-flopped. We're wise as doves but harmless as serpents in a way. So... By loving God with our mind, we will be able to defend his honor like I could defend my wife's honor by the reasonableness and sensibility of his word. This flows right into our seventh. By loving God, it helps people to remain, that is, stay in the faith. You've probably all, all known and wondered how people, you've known people, if you've been in the church a while, there's somebody that's got what seems to be a vibrant, genuine faith, loving God, worship service, all of it. Only to fall away. And some of them fall away to atheism. And some of them fall away to, to, to vapid atheism. Just venomous, outspoken atheism. How did it happen that way? Well, I would suggest is perhaps they love God with their heart and soul. But they never love God with their mind. They never took it upon themselves to dig deeply. To do the heavy lifting into the nature of God. The legitimacy of the religion that they were embracing. And unfortunately, the statistics are very bad for young people, especially leaving high school. They tend to leave the church when they leave youth group. The verdict is, the, the, the jury is still out whether they're going to come back or not. But part of that we have to lay at the feet of, if all we're doing is pizza parties and games, instead of equipping them to believe in a worldview that answers all the big questions of the world, then we're partly to blame at that. We are. So all too often, unfortunately, the movie doesn't end like God's not dead. If you didn't see it, it's about a kid that goes to university, meets an atheist professor, and ends up debating the atheist professor, and the atheist, you know, gives his life back to Jesus. It doesn't end like that sometimes because too few young people actually know the word of God enough or know enough about defending their faith to be able to share it with an atheist, atheist or anyone else. So, I'm the national director of speaker development for a ministry called Thinking Matters, which is all about what I'm, I asked Reuben, can I do this message today? Because we got a, a conference that's coming, and I'll, I'll just play the promo, play the promo. Questions about Christianity at the Thinking Matters Confident Christianity Conference of Auckland. We'll be at North Cross Church on August 12th and 13th. All Christians should feel confident sharing their faith with their friends, with their whanau, and with their co-workers in a way that reveals the truth, in a way that reveals the reality, and in a way that reveals the love of God. 
Get equipped on a diverse range of topics with expert presenters from around New Zealand and the world. Kingdom Divided, watching the wall of 21st century culture with Christopher Bate. What am I worth and why? With Simon Edwards. The problem of evil and suffering with Dan Patterson. And our bicultural story with Dave Mann. With 12 presenters sharing on 16 topics, there's something for everyone. The time has come to spread the gospel and get the tools needed to defend faith, navigate culture, and reach people. A special thanks to this year's conference sponsors. Register today by going to our website, conference.thinkingmatters.org.nz. Brought to you by Thinking Matters. Cool. How many have ever gone to one of our conferences? Or have been in Auckland every year? How many are going this year? And now, how many are going this year? Now that I've given you this talk, how many? <laughs> Um, if you'll turn around, you'll see a gentleman in a black coat, a handsome young man right there. His name is Josh, and he's going to be manning the booth back there to sign you up and give the proper discounts for those that smile big enough or whatever. He'll give discounts. But if you want to go, um, uh, it's a phenomenal way to begin to equip yourself with, with loving God with your mind and giving an answer to a culture that desperately needs answers in this day and age. So, I started out with, what does it mean to love God with your mind? How do we do that? And what are the benefits? I think I've got a slide there that, that, that reminds you. If we do it, this is what we see. Benefits us. Benefits the body. It benefits mankind. Deeper worship, more confident in our faith, etc. It's up to us to do the heavy lifting and the hard work. It is. And, and some... It won't come naturally. It really honestly doesn't to me. It's a love language I don't normally speak, but God challenges. So I hope that my goal is not to guilt trip anybody. It's been to encourage you, to challenge you, hopefully inspire you. Let's pray. God, I just, I, want, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will remind us all of the challenges that has been put forth today. That we'll add, all of us will add more weight to the bar of our spiritual journey, intellectually. I pray that we'd be inspired by your Holy Spirit just to dig deeper into the study of you and your attributes and your nature and the consistency of a Christian worldview. God, motivate us to be able to defend your honor to the world around us that would want to shame you. And one day here, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.